Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but managing your weight needs a long-term solution. And that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long-term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young. And uh, this week, not just joined by Pete Ball, but by, I, th- I think we could say this, by the, the th- the two other best shows on the Pitchless Podcast Network is that is that a fair assessment? These are the three best shows on the network. Just this trying to is, flatter us, really works for me. <laughs> at, at, at the very least, it's a good way to find out who else is from our the network is listening to our show because I'll True. find out who I get angry messages from once this airs on Monday. But we are joined by Adam Howe from On the Wire and by Schwebzy and Jordan from In the Deep. And that is for what has become one of my favorite traditions on the pod, our annual post-350 mock draft, where each of the three podcasts is responsible for drafting a team of players who are available with ADP. I was, I was, this is always messing up. Higher than 350, worse than 350, after 350? Later. Later than 350. 350. There you go. That's That's good good. You got to go to the guys from in the deep to really know how to talk about the end of the draft. And it's later than 350. I like that. Welcome, Welcome to our that. domain, boys. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're just we're just visiting. This is like the, you know, the rest of you are just you just experiencing the dark. I was born in it, right? It's at the, the yeah, bane we live that here. I was butchered. You're but, in our neighborhood now. You were yeah. from darkness is your ally. There we go. So before we dive into this, I do want to give each of you a chance to quickly introduce yourself. Uh, Every week on the show, we let you know that you can follow Keep or Cut at Keep or Cut, cut with a K on Twitter. You can leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to podcasts. We like that. You can follow Pete at Pete B Baseball. You can get me at Chad Young. Let the other guys introduce themselves. Adam, why don't you go first? Yeah, well, I'm Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80 grid. It's all spelled out. Kevin Hastings and I, you know, we, we are on On the Wire. We are out every Sunday. Uh, we just finished up recording our final off-season episode, and we're looking forward to next week. By the time you're listening to this, it'll be our next episode where we actually start talking about fab. Uh, we actually talk about targets that you can fab each week. No more later or post 350 ADP or anything like that. No more ADP, really. No more that's, ADP that's, at all. Yeah. That's the thing that I think I'm looking forward to the most. No more ADP. Sounds good. Schwebzy, what about you? Well, uh, you know, in the in the deep, we do uh, we focus on everything after, what, what is it, 300? Is, is it 250 or 300 during the offseason? Uh, 300 during the offseason, and then during the season, I always we forget. look at players that are rostered at less rostered than 20% in. in ESPN and Yahoo. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're, we're trying to help guys in, you know, your 15 teamers, your AL only, your NL only, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, if you're in, a, if you're in a 12 team Yahoo league, uh, don't listen to us. We're not for you. We can still probably <laughs> help you sometimes though. I think you could. And Jordan, anything you want to add? Jordan White, uh, one of the co-hosts of the In the Deep podcast, surprisingly, somehow two times FSWA award nominated, which Bam. is a weird thing to say yeah. still. <laughs> 
But yeah, host of that podcast with my good buddy Schwebzy over here. And yeah, talking about Deep League stuff pretty much every single week. And you're uh, you're at Bunt Singles, right? On correct Twitter. Yes, everyone's favorite kind, is... like the most fantasy relevant thing that one can do is get a Bunt single. Oh yeah, for sure. So, and then Schwebzy yes. is at Schwebzy, so you can find yes, him there that, as well. That's S H W E B S I. People love throwing an, a, a C in there, and I don't know why. Just, just you gotta, for fun. It, it just it's it adds some phlegm in there. It's like Schwebzy more, more than Schwebzy. <laughs> No C. Don't don't add any C's. Otherwise, you'll you'll find some other Schwebzy. There's probably another Schwebzy out there who uses a C. Guy. <laughs> He's the worst. But we are going to do our post three fifty mock, and I just wanted to. I did want to before we dive in. I pulled up last year's results, and I'm going to be honest. I can't remember if I used the Rasball Player Rater or the Fangraphs Auction Calculator or the ESPN Player Rater, but I did sort of evaluate our results from last year. And there were there were a, a handful of guys that came up in this draft that were productive, useful. Um, I, I think the the obvious winner here was Jeremy Pena, who, Adam, I don't know if that was you or Kevin. Kevin's not here, so you can just take credit for it. Oh, him. yeah, totally me. Why. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but one of you picked <laughs> Jeremy Pena as your middle infielder. In whatever version of whatever player rater I was using, he returned fifteen dollars and ten cents of value, which is pretty good. That's a that's a pretty good return on a guy you're getting that late in drafts. There were a handful of others though. Your team also took Michael Taylor, who was sort of a one dollar kind of guy, um, maybe more in line with what you expect post three fifty, but at least worth having. Um, for the in the deep guys, Ramon Urias and Nick Lodolo were the the two that sort of stood out. Um, Anthony Bender, though, I feel like Anthony Bender should have been something because he got some saves in there for a little while. Like there were, there were, he, he did yeah, some stuff. So, and then from the keeper cut side, Bryson Stott and MJ Melendez were two sort of standout picks. Um, Ronzi Contreras, Mitch Keller sort of helped out a little bit here and there if you just needed innings, but they, they needed to not be very good innings for those guys to be useful. So, but that those are those are some of the names that came up last year, um, and hopefully we'll get some uh, get some big hits. We'll see if we get another anyone who can do better than the fifteen dollar value you got from Jeremy Pena last year. So before we dive in, just a quick reminder that what we've done here is each of the three podcasts we did a snake draft. We're gonna recreate that snake draft here. Each of the teams had to draft a catcher, a middle infielder, a corner infielder, an outfielder, two starting pitchers, and two relievers. So that's that's the rosters we drafted. We randomized the draft order. We Basically, what we did was we snaked the podcast, but alternated who was making the picks, if that makes sense. So on the wire pick first, then keeper cut, then in the deep, then it went back to in the deep, back to keeper cut, back down the wire. The first on the wire pick was Adam. The second one was Kevin. The first keeper cut pick was Pete. The second one was me. Pretty straightforward. You'll you'll get the hang of it as we go. And we're going to try to move a little bit quickly so that we don't keep you here forever. Keep ourselves here forever for that matter. So, <laughs> But with the first pick, it was the on the wire pod. Adam, you had that first pick. And you went with a corner infielder right off the bat. Yeah, I went. Uh, let's see. I went. It's the position that everybody's talking about, right? That like there's no third baseman. So I want yeah. to make sure I filled my corner infielder with a uh, a corner infielder that I knew was going to play every single day, at least until 
uh, he forced the Reds not to let him play anymore. That's Spencer Steer. I don't think it's going to actually happen because if you really look at the Reds' uh, ro- current roster, they don't have anybody else that can play third base. Uh, so Spencer Steele, uh, no matter what kind of holes in the swing he has, no matter how many times he strikes out, he's going to get what seems to be the longest leash um, that any rookie is going to have minus, you know, besides maybe Corbin Carroll, who just signed that long contract in Arizona. I mean, this guy, I, I, I threw five bucks on him for rookie of the year um, uh, recently, just because there's, this is the type of guy that I think could end up voluming his way into um, consideration for the award. Uh, He's going to play every day in, the best home run ballpark um, in baseball at Great American Small Park. He's probably going to be right in the middle um, of that order at third base. Um, if I mean, roster resource has him at the bottom of the order, but if his power does translate uh, the way it could, um, he could very easily move up. But really what it came down to, this pick was just all about volume. Um, and at that position, I know there's at least one draft I've done this year where um, I totally, I don't know if I forgot <laughs> or I just didn't grab a third baseman until it was way too late. And I ended up drafting like four third basemen in like six picks and Spencer Steele is right in there. And I'm just like, I'm throwing as many of these guys at the, at the wall and seeing which one sticks by the end of April. Uh, so steer was the first one off the board here. Um, I don't think he's in a platoon. I think he's going to volume his way into plenty of stats and at a position that uh, a lot of people say you either get somebody at the top or wait until the end. This is the guy you can get at the end. Yeah. He's the only real threat to him for playing time at third base is, is Christian Encarnacion strand. Right. I mean, he's the only other guy like in the organization who who's a threat and he got sent down. He got sent down already. Right. And he, and he's not going to break camp, right? He'd be a threat to take over at some point. Mm -hmm. Uh, the other thing I think is good with Steer is he's played all over the field for them in the past. And so if, you know, if, if Encarnacion Strand gets, gets on fire and just demands the third base job, I, I don't think that necessarily spells doom for Steer. I think he could be sort of a super utility guy and still get a lot of playing time. He was definitely on our draft board. He, he was definitely a guy we were thinking about. Any other thoughts on Steer? I came into this wanting to be sold on steer because we, we, we were doing our corner infielder episode yesterday and we had steer as an honorable mention. And I was looking at the profile and I came away like, but I, I think my, the, what I said was if he was a second baseman, I'd be interested, but as a corner infielder, I feel like it leaves a little bit to be desired. So I came in wanting to be sold. Uh, it, like to me, it felt like a, a decent bat elevated by the ballpark. Like, I guess the question for me is like, will he have enough opportunity? Like, like, will he be in there every day in a good spot in the lineup in that good ballpark? And if so, then, yeah, I guess you kind of have to be interested by default. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I don't think, think Adam's right. On that. I think he's going to have to volume his way into consideration. So, I mean, it, it, the the profile on, on, on the surface in for any other ballpark and any other team. Yeah. He probably ends up as a platoon. He probably ends up in a situation where he's not playing every single day. Um, but because of the situation he's in right now, um, he definitely has to be consideration. If, if nothing else as, you know, as a reserve pick, uh, on your bench that you can plug into multiple positions and hopefully Chad, you're right. And you know, he, they do plug him in other places. I don't think they're going to be able to though. Cause they have like, like we talked about, there's nobody else playing third base. Um, maybe Chad Pinder, if he makes the roster, he can play all over as well. Um, but then you just use Chad Pinder as the uh, utility guy. 
So our, our next pick went to the Keeper Cup pod. And Pete, you made that first pick for us. And we uh, we started to fill our rotation right away. We did. First of all, hello, everyone. I am alive. Uh, so if you're wondering, we are 12 minutes in. What happened to Pete? I am here. Uh, I'm just a little under the weather. So i uh, going to keep my elevator speech here uh, a little brief. Brandon Fott kind of feels like that's who I went with here. Brandon Fott of the Arizona Diamondbacks feels like such a like fantasy hipster guy pick just because like there was so much like I guess if it was that pick months ago because he was coming out of nowhere and everybody was like oh have you heard of this Brandon Fott guy he was a very trendy player back in like December um and pitcherless own Chris Clegg wrote an awesome article about Fott that got me interested back in December talked about his arsenal um the numbers he put up last year and by now, I mean, if you've been doing your fantasy research, if you listen to Keeper Cut, you've probably heard um, about the success that Brandon Fott had last year, despite pitching in some pretty tough places. Uh, he had he was in a tough pitching environment in AA, and then he went to the PCL in AAA, um, which I think helps explain some of the home run issues that he faced. Uh, but why am I excited about him for 2023? Well, I think so far he has got to be the leading candidate for that final spot in the Arizona Diamondbacks rotation. I was listening to Eno Saris on rates and barrels the other day he's not as optimistic that that fought will get that spot um more likely thinking it's gonna be like dre jameson or ryan nelson or something like that but when you look at the numbers uh, so far this spring when you're comparing what fought has done relative to those other young pitchers on arizona that includes one other name that's escaping me right now i mean he's been far and away better obviously it's a tiny sample size but one thing maybe they'd want to see out of fought was a cut down on the home run rate He's only given up one home run and over 12 innings pitched, which is awesome to see. Um, and I did a little digging because I wanted to like see if there's any kind of insight into where they might be leaning as an organization. And on Fangraphs, there's an article um, back on February 21st. Uh, David Larilla, a writer for Fangraphs, um, interviewed the um, head of scouting uh, for Arizona, Josh Barfield. Um, and Barfield was kind of asked about all of the young pitchers on Arizona, but he made it a point to talk about Brandon Fott. He said, Brandon Fott is special. I think we'd all be lying if we said we knew how special he was going to be coming out of the draft. We knew we liked him. One thing he's done is transform his body. He was kind of a bigger body, maybe softer as a kid, and now he looks tremendous. He really leaned up and is also stronger than he was before. He's always had an elite ability to throw strikes. He commands all three pitches, but the fastball velo has jumped. Um, we've seen that this spring, too. This is not part of the quote, but he's been up to 96 miles per hour this spring. His slider is better than it was when we got him, and his changeup is even better. He's done a really good job, and our staff has done a really good job with refining his stuff. He's right there knocking on the door. I mean, if you read that article, the transcript of the phone call, it's like Barfield talked a little bit about each of the other pitching prospects and then like really got into Brandon Fott, kind of unprompted. Um, he also went on to say that Fod has the best command um, in the minor league system for Arizona. So all that kind of combined got me really excited about this player. And the one thing I'd be nervous about with youngsters is like how many innings are they going to get? And Fod through almost 170 innings last year. His velocity remains strong throughout the entire year. That includes going deep into his outings, which is something that Chris Clegg talked about in his article. So I thought Fod was a risky because if he doesn't get that spot and somebody else gets it and kind of runs with it, he might not really pitch much this year. So it's definitely a risky pick for 2023, but I felt pretty good about it. I think for me, the big question with, with Arizona is like, why are not, why are they not putting all three of those guys in the rotation? Like are they, they really, like, I understand that, you know, Madison Bumgarner has a contract that pays him money and they presumably want to get some value for that money. But like, man, that team has some exciting young arms and it seems just very sad <laughs> that two of them are not going to be getting a shot 
next week. Well, it's a player we talked about previously on this was the the corpse of Madison Bumgarner is how Eno Saris put it. He's kind of standing in the way there. As I say, we're talking about Madison Bumgarner and Zach Davies <laughs> standing in <laughs> front of these two young pitchers. Not exactly the most shining stars uh, that we could we're, have there. We're talking, so I agree. We're, we've got all this Madison Bumgarner slander. He's been their best pitcher in spring training. How dare you all? 2.84 Guys, do you, do, you, do you know that he fought a rattlesnake once? <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> He could have he could have fought dozens of rattlesnakes. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like to brag. Like <laughs> he seems like a pretty humble guy, you know. <laughs> sure. But yeah, but yeah, Ryan Ryan Nelson and Dre Jameson have both been really underwhelming in spring training after fun debuts last year. So mm-hmm. I it, it, I mean, you have to imagine that fought has the edge right now. Yeah, I would think so, but we will see. As we said, they're they're already starting a bunch of like old dudes with no future rather than giving these kids the shot. So I'm not, not relying on them to make the decision I would make, but young starting pitchers who need people to get out of their way. If they're going to have a shot that, that I think tees up our next pick from Jordan. Oh, it's perfect. Well. Also people <laughs> who are struggling after pretty awesome debut. Well, sort of debuts last mm-hmm. year. Yeah. For my pick first one, I went, went with one of our starting pitchers and chose to talk about Braxton Garrett. So he's got a, at least at the time of us drafting, had a 367 ADP. Uh, he had a 30.32% uh, weighted earned strike rate in 2022, which is very solid. He's someone that our good friend Mikey Ahedo, mine and uh, Shrubsy's good friend Mikey, is a fan of. And I think it's for good reason. Uh, the thing that really made me like Braxton Garrett after his uh, resurgence last year in his third cup of coffee, I think it was, was the fact that he stopped walking so many people. He had walked like five plus in his first two stints in the majors and then cut that down to a sub three uh, per nine walk rate, which is excellent. Um, also, he changed how he approached pitching last year uh, and he was leading with his slider first, which I thought helped him a ton. Uh, he's got that plus a really solid sinker that draws a ton of ground ball contact, which I like a lot. Obviously, kind of what Chad led with there was the fact that the Marlins rotation is probably one of the most crowded ones in the major leagues, and there's more coming behind Braxton Garrett, too. So I am a bit concerned after his shaky start in spring training, what his innings are going to look like. So there is some... He has lost a little bit of his shine since I drafted him, but I still do like Braxton Garrett quite a bit. Yeah, he's definitely in a situation where if that opportunity comes along and he's not really ready to grab it. There are like, it feels like there's like 12 other arms in that system that are like, yeah, I'll take that shot. I'm ready. So yeah. it's going to be, so many. it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting for sure. The, the, in the deep guys, I, I don't know. Maybe you were worried about starting pitching. Felt like you just had to fill up that rotation quickly because after Jordan took Garrett Schwebs, you took, you took our third straight starting pitcher. Look, Brandon fought, went off the board, and I, I knew the pitcher run was afoot, so I had to, you know, I had to get mine. And, and you know, when, when Jordan started off with, I, I, I have given Jordan so much guff this offseason about his Braxton Garrett love, so I had to strengthen our rotation after he drafted him, so I, I had to take my own starter there in uh, Spencer Turnbull. Yeah, podcast hosts don't always agree, guys. Jordan, Jordan and I are, are opposed on uh, on Braxton Garrett. Uh, so yeah, I took Spencer Turnbull. And a lot of the uh, hype around Tiger's spring training pitching this year has been centered around Matt Boyd striking out the world and Eduardo Escobar kind of looking like his old self again. 
And those are fun, interesting developments to be sure. But uh, I think it's kind of overshadowed Spencer Turnbull's return from Tommy John, which that, it could wind up being really important for fantasy managers this year. I, I need to get out of the way that he's not, he doesn't have like a crazy high ceiling. What we're looking at with Turnbull, what we're hoping for from Turnbull is like a, you know, like, like a prime Toby, like uh, we, we, to, to use the pitcher list uh, parlance, we, he could, he could be our Spider-Man, the best Toby, uh, a guy that, you know, think like what Martin Perez, Martin Perez did last year. Like he could be the guy that you're like shocked goes on a run because of his contact suppression skills and, you know, good enough stuff to, uh, to go on a run that you're not expecting. He's never struck out a batter per inning, but you know, he's come close a few times. He usually hovers around eight, but like a, a good Spencer Turnbull at bat for him means there was soft contact at the end of it. The last time we saw him in 2021, he was throwing six different pitches and allowing a 215 expected batting average or lower on five of them. Contact suppression is the name of the game here. He was also getting a 58.6 ground ball percentage back in 2021, which is stupid high. It's not quite uh, Framber Valdez, but it's it's high. And we, you know, when we're talking about Tigers pitchers, you can never forget Comerica Ballpark. The fences have moved in this year, but it still looks like it will be a pretty dramatic pitcher's park. And this will never stop shocking me. He has an incredible middle infield defense behind him, led by outs above average savant Jonathan Scope, and then Javi Baez at shortstop. For those who don't know, Jonathan Scope just like breaks the scale when it comes to outs above average. That yeah. like measure of defense loves him so much, but uh, yeah, Spencer Turnbull should have a really strong infield defense behind him to support his the the weak contact that he uh, he what well, he uh, allows, I guess draws. But yeah, I'm yeah draws. Sure, you know sometimes I forget words. It happens. Uh, yeah, big on Spencer Turnbull this year, and I, I love him as a kind of like a uh, a rotation stabilizer late in a draft. Yeah, Pete and I talked about. Turnbull last week we were we were looking at guys whose roster percentages were in our opinion too low and he came up there as just a guy who like people seem to be sleeping on so I'm all in on this I think for for those and you know maybe for our auto new listeners out there and people who play in points leagues or anything where home runs are an issue his that contact suppression that Schwebzy talked about like he is about as as much of a lock as anyone in the game to keep the home runs per nine down. And that is, you know, in those points leagues, things like that, that's, that's super valuable. So yeah, big fan of Turnbull. My turn came up. I also took a pitcher, but I went to the bullpen and I took Ronaldo Lopez. Lopez was his ADP at the time was around 374. And this is honestly, it's, it's a, like the super simple, straightforward thing here is, there are saves up for grabs in the White Sox bullpen. And Reynaldo Lopez is the best reliever in the White Sox bullpen. Uh, you know, non-Liam Hendricks division, obviously. So that that was sort of, that's the short version, right? And he was, you know, Kendall Graveman is in the mix there. Joe Kelly's in the mix. But Lopez was clearly the best of the three last year. He's got the most sort of pedigree and, and the highest expectations historically. And if you look at what, what's happened with, with Lopez, I think it feels like he's taken this like long road to getting to where he is. And it's been sort of bumpy along the way. He, he is a failed starting pitcher at this point. 
But since he moved to the pen, his velocity has been up. He's been pulling down or bringing up his ground ball rate year over year for like four straight years now. And I think there's, I think he's just, he is the best reliever in that pen period. Now, Teams do not always give the best reliever the ninth inning for lots of reasons, some good, some bad. So I can't promise you he's going to be the guy piling up saves in that bullpen. I think he probably should be. The good thing with Lopez is if he's not, he's a useful rates and strikeouts kind of guy in the bullpen as well. So I, I feel like you've got a a decent floor there where you know sometimes you're taking these relievers late and it's like, boy, if they're not the closer, I don't want them in my lineup. That's not true for Lopez. Like if he's a if he's a part-time closer, if he's a guy who gets saves once every few outings, whatever, like you can still throw him in your lineup and get those saves because he'll he'll do good enough things for you the rest of the time. But I also think until Hendricks is back, he's their best bet for that ninth inning. And I think at some point he's going to take that job and run with it. Anyone anyone disagree? Anyone wanna fight me over Reynaldo Lopez? No, I think he's the best option in that bullpen right now. Good pick. I can't That's believe pretty he's much all I have. <laughs> He's 29. I can't, believe he, I can't believe he's 29 years old. It feels like yeah. he was just so young and, and going to be a starting pitcher for them. But if you're a believer in contract years, man, if he can be a flamethrower closer out of the bullpen for uh, Chicago, I think he's going to seize that and run with it. Yeah. And he, he'd so, be part of the, from, the long tradition of, you know, failed, clo- failed starters going on to becoming really good relievers. Happens literally all the time. Yeah, for sure. And that that's that's exactly what I'm what I'm hoping for with this pick. So our next pick, we're back to the on the wire team. And uh, Kevin, unfortunately couldn't join us tonight, but he didn't take a picture. So we get to talk about a position player again. That's sort of fun. And uh, you guys, like I said, last year, your middle infield pick was Jeremy Pena, a rookie shortstop who put up a huge year and ended up being quite valuable. Think you're going to repeat that Adam? Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, the way I look at this draft, um, the the types of players I'm 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 usually drafting um, at this point in a draft and if for this mock draft here uh, is if I'm not stashing them, then it's somebody that I think can be useful in the first like two or three weeks of the season, and then after that, it's anybody's guess. Uh, Volpe obviously is a stash uh, in, in this scenario, except for the fact that it sure seems like he has a very strong chance of breaking camp now based on not only what he's doing on the field. Like if you go to the, just the MLB app and you go find the stats, cause it's like on, in the, the graphic of all the different stats for each team, uh, Volpe leads the Yankees in spring training and pretty much everything. You just go to the hitting side and it's just Volpe's name over and over and over again. And the major reason for that is because the one of the, the number one stat that he leads the Yankees on is plate appearances. They have been leading him off uh, for the, for quite a while now in spring training. Um, and that is typically a sign that a team really wants to get as much of a look on them as possible. They want to give them as much of an opportunity to succeed and kind of force the issue. Uh, we saw that with Julio Rodriguez last year. Um, we kind of saw that with Tatis, you know, when he debuted enforce the issue and we're hearing we're hearing the same kind of rhetoric from the Yankee from the players from Aaron Boone um recently saying that him breaking camp is is definitely in the cards uh as the starting shortstop as he wins that gig um and I mean this is the guy who is eligible for the 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 rookie of the year award that the team could get if he wins, because he was on, you know, in the top 100 from multiple uh, prospect lists. Uh, I think it's a pipeline. 
Baseball America and Sports Illustrated, I think, are the three lists that they have to be, or two out of the three, and he's definitely on all of them. Uh, so he would be eligible as long as he opens the year on the opening day roster for the Yankees. Um, and if this is the type of player that if he is on the opening day roster, he's going to play every day. He's the starting shortstop, simple as that. They'll move um, the other two guys around, Praza Cabrera. Torres is already you know playing second base. And so the opening is definitely there. They've already started moving um, IKF to the outfield. Um, he seems, quote, you know, kind of okay with it. <laughs> you can kind of tell just by transcripts that he's just like, I'll, I'll do what I got to do, dude. I've already moved off catcher. I've already moved off a third base. I'm already, now I got to move off shortstop. Uh, I'll just do what I got to do. Um, but I've been I've been drafting Volpe. I know this was Kevin's pick, but I've been drafting Volpe in the, my last, I think, three drafts that I've done well above his ADP. Um, just jumping on that hype train because if he does start, he's going to be he is going to be Jeremy. He's going to be better than Jeremy Pena was last year, at least based on what he's done um, in his uh, minor league career. The plate discipline so far in spring training has been really impressive. Like he's he's got yeah. he's walked seven times in spring training already. So it's you know among among the most of anybody. You know you know part of that is all the plate appearances he's getting, but you still you know he's still got to draw the walks. Mm-hmm. You know you mentioned the rookie of the year thing, and I was thinking about this with Brandon Fott as well. I I sort of wonder why teams. I shouldn't say why this is, this is such a new thing that we haven't really seen what teams are going to do. I sort of wonder if teams are going to do things with a guy like Volpe is start, bring him up to start the season. If he's performing, like he might win rookie of the year, stick with him, which you would do anyways, obviously if he's performing that well, you stick with him. And if he struggles, find a reason to send him down for the the couple of weeks later in the year to, to get that extra year of team control. I think it's even easier with pitchers. Like it came up first to me with thought because like give him the job out of camp. And if he's great and he runs with it, go get yourself an extra draft pick. And if he isn't great and he's not going to win rookie of the year, then you send him down in May or June. You talk about innings protection and blah, 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 blah. And you get that, you know, extra year of team control that way. It seems like there's an opportunity for them to, to game this system. And, and given, you know, there are not a lot of things I trust major league baseball teams to do, but game the system to not pay players is <laughs> way near the top of that list of things. I know they're going to figure out a way to do. And I think a lot of people like forget that. To do it. I think a lot of yeah. people forget that you don't have to manipulate the time at the beginning of the season. You can manipulate right. the time at any point. They just have to be off the roster for it. It's usually it's like about three weeks uh, throughout right. the course of the season. And it's a challenge I get with like a guy like Volpe that can be hard, even if he's not performing great. If he's solid it's going to be very hard for them to send him down and, and, and justify that with pitchers. It's so easy because all you have to do is be like, we're sending him down to go do a couple two inning outings to control his innings this year and blah, blah, blah. Like, and it's, it's, it's not only believable, it actually could be true. Like it actually, like that, that's actually a valid thing for a team to do. So I, I'm curious to see if we see teams do that, but that know. organization I, does... has a long history of producing overrated shortstops. So I'm not holding out hope. <laughs> Anthony Volpe. Uh, yeah, well, we will see. I do think the other interesting thing with Volpe is, um, by all accounts, Peraz is the better defender, and it, you got to wonder how that how that plays out between the two of them. But I don't know. Given what what it looks like Volpe can do with the bat, I, I just can't imagine. I I don't know that Peraz is, you know, Ozzy Smith, and therefore I don't know that he's going to be good enough defensively to keep Volpe down. So. With that, we've we've gotten about half hour into this thing. We should take a quick break for hear from some of our sponsors. When we get back, we'll jump into the next round of the draft. 
When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, welcome back. You just heard from Adam talking about Kevin's pick. Now, Adam, you get to talk about your own pick. This is your your second pick. You talked about Sierra before. Your team now has a middle infielder as well with Anthony Volpe. And while the rest of us have been filling up our pitching, you're you're finally catching up, huh? I felt left out, so I had to I had to get in there. I, I was tempted to just let it slide and just be you know, like, I'll just fill those spots at the very end, and whoever anybody leaves me left over. But as I said earlier, uh, I I tend to look at this as my picks are either going to be stashes or guys are going to help me at the very beginning of the season. Um, And that's exactly what Nick Martinez does for me here. Uh, Now that we are, you know, fairly confident that he's the number four starter in that rotation due to injury and, and other, other issues in San Diego, um, he'll be lined up. He should be lined up to face Colorado in San Diego. Now there's, you know, all the talk about like, you know, Colorado on the road is great, but, this is this is a different situation because Colorado is just coming from Arizona. They're not coming from Colorado the first season, uh, the first series. That being said, the Colorado lineup doesn't scare me in the light and in, in, in all that much anyway, regardless. I think other concerns, I think, about somebody like Nick Martinez, who is, you know, being transferred from the bullpen into a rotation piece. It's what he really wanted. Uh, He was pretty vocal about that before signing back with San Diego. He was going to sign somewhere where he was going to start. Um, You know, his his teammate Seth Lugo said the same thing. And there they both are in the rotation now in San Diego. Then we have somebody like Matt Strom who said the same thing out of Boston. Um, And now he's being stretched out to be a middle, you know, middle multi-inning reliever in Philadelphia. So it doesn't always work out the way you want it to. Um, But for Martinez, it sure looks like it does. 
And we got to remember that he started off last season as a starter. He went the first, um, I think it was like the fir- his first like 10 outings uh, were all anywhere between four and seven innings uh, throughout the season before he got moved back into the or bullpen role and where he was going two or three innings. And then for the remainder of the uh, remainder of the season, yeah, obviously he was down to the one or even partial innings uh, throughout the re- rest of the season. But this is somebody who, as in, you know, we all say we take the, all the stats from spring training with the, the biggest grain of salt that you could possibly give. Uh, but I mean, he he's just not giving up any kind of contact. He's not giving up. He's just performing really well. He's not giving up any runs. Uh, he's got a point nine six whip. I'll even he's got an equal whip to ERA. And that's a that's a that's a pretty good even a small nine point one inning sample here eleven strikeouts in that time. Um, this is a guy who again in that first start, um, especially since San Diego has four straight games. You're playing in a league where a weekly league where you're rotating your um, you need as many starts as you can in those first four days of the season. He's going to get a start. So there, there's that. Um, the rest of the the rest of April's schedule doesn't look all that great. Um, but I will be looking forward to seeing him pitch against Colorado and getting as much of those uh, as much of that excitement out. Um, hopefully that transfers over from his spring training uh, performances. Well, I know we just did our starting pitcher preview episode and we had a friend of the podcast, Michael Hedo on and he mentioned liking Nick Martinez a lot because Jordan had chosen him to do one of his deep dives on. I know Jordan came away liking him. Yeah, 100%. Big fan of Nick Martinez. Uh, the pitch mix is really good. The changeup is awesome. The park is really good, Yeah, which helps too. Uh, so there's a lot to like there, I think, with Nick, Mar- Nick Martinez. Yeah, makes sense. So after Martinez, we're back to keep her cut on the clock. Pete, you made this pick. And... Uh, why don't you talk about this? Our, our, our regular listeners are going to be like, oh, this guy again. But that's okay because he's worth it. Yeah, Michael Massey, second baseman for the Kansas City Royals. Um, he's a player that Chad and I, I, th- I think we talk about him every week. <laughs> this this like the five-minute Massey moment, we'll call it. Um, we talked about him last week, so I would encourage our listeners to check out Massey. I'm going to be a little brief on him here because we've talked about him. But I mean, he does all the things you would want a, a hitter to do, like a guy, especially a guy who maybe doesn't project a hit for a ton of power. He lifts the ball, he pulls the ball, he hits it hard. Um, he had 13% barrel rate. That's the number that continues to stick out to me uh, from last year. And although Roster Resource currently has him as a strong side platoon at second base, which at this point in your drafts, like we'll take a strong side platoon. I think he could easily run away with that job. Like it was just a a strikeout rate of about 22% against lefties last year. If he can be close to that, like he's a guy who hits for high Babips. So if he's not striking out, he's putting the ball in play and he's batting for a high Babip. Like I think he can really hold his own against lefties. And if he does, and he does approach like, you know, none of the projection systems have him for this, but if he can get to 500 at bats or something like that, I mean, we're probably talking about a floor of like 12 homers, 12 steals which at this point in drafts is awesome. I mean, that's probably similar to the conversation we had last year about Jeremy Pena. So I really like Massey. Um, I've got him in a lot of spots. I think he's a great target in drafts and draft and holds and stuff like that. And if you were wondering how he's doing this spring, his OPS is over a thousand. He has three homers and two steals through 29 at bats. So um, Massey, a guy, again, I check out Last week's episode, um, he is somebody who I think both Chad and I are, are consistent on. We're very interested in him this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think we we talked about this last week, but he had 
20 home runs and I think seven, 16 steals across three levels last year. Um, and that's, you know, he, he doesn't hit the ball quite as hard as you might like, but as you mentioned, Pete, he, he pulls the ball and he elevates it. Right. And if you can consistently pull the ball hard, you're going to get good results. And, and that's, that's what he's capable of. The biggest knock against him is the, the park, right? Kaufman is just not a great power park and that could really hurt him. But I, I, I love what, I love what I see from him. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a big Massey fan myself. Um, I just grabbed him around pick 270. So we're talking about a a, a mock draft of where we're doing post 350. Um, I definitely jumped him up quite a bit to be uh, my middle infielder and possibly, you know, move him into second base if, you know, injury occurs on that roster. Uh, I, I, uh, I like him a lot. And just, again, for this point in the draft too, it is all about it. For me, it's all about volume and he is the starting second baseman for a major league baseball team uh, with talent. Um, and so this is a, I think this is a great pick here. I'm glad you added so with I, talent. Cause I was like, man, the bar was just set really low. <laughs> he is a major league second baseman. That is a thing that he is. <laughs> he gets paid to play baseball. <laughs> yeah. He's on a roster. So go get him. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you need, right? It depends so, on your ser- league, sure. He's searching so on, be- on baseball ref. That's all yes. we need. He shows so up. You type his name in baseball ref, he comes up, pick him. <laughs> well, speaking of guys who come up on baseball reference and are also talented young middle infielders, hey, uh, <laughs> Jordan, your your pick is... I, this is one where, I, I like, two weeks ago, I feel like I was completely unaware of this guy. And like you picked him, and I was like, oh, man gonna look this guy up and now the more i like i just feel like i'm hearing about him more and more he seems like he's really establishing himself as as a likely contributor this year i think you were ahead of the curve yes Yes. very rare for me to be ahead of the curve my parents would be so proud (laughs) but no i picked addison barger so shortstop prospect for the blue jays uh adp at the time of us drafting i can't remember where he was at he was at what pick like 707 700 which is i think that might be the second deepest player that was picked in this mock draft yeah Yeah, i got i got you one deeper a little later but uh if we do our post 350 post 350 mock later yeah (laughs) (laughs) i love that uh yeah so we got our first two picks there but uh with barger I think the thing that I really like about him, so uh, fourth ranked prospect in the J system, according to prospects live second, according to fan graphs, uh, he climbed across three levels last year, raked at every single one of them. He accrued 26 home runs over 526 plate appearances in 2022. Um, he's a much different person than he was when he was drafted. He was lured away from, I believe it was Florida with a $270,000 contract uh back uh pre-pandemic uh and then lost year of development during the pandemic season and then and he was drafted as like a 150 pound line drive hitter and now is 210 pounds and can thump really really well he's got a great swing um a swing that is modeled after ichiro which is very funny to say about someone who's known for their power uh <laughs> but, but uh it's, so it's like he, he is modeled a swing after ichiro and just got it completely wrong and ended up yes as a power hitter what is it? What is it? Uh, just the uh, failing successfully. 
I guess would be yeah, the way to call sailing it. Sailing upwards? Like something like that. Failing, failing upwards. upwards. Yes, right. there we go. And he's, he's a righty, so he swings and starts taking off. No, no, base. he's a lefty. No, he's a oh, lefty. He's a lefty. Okay. <laughs> he, he, is, he, he did get that right, at least. Uh, but basically, the thing that he does is that he is a he pulls the ball a ton, and he's got a fly ball rate that speaks to him having a decent chance at pumping out a ton of home runs uh, in the Rogers Center which excites me a lot. Um, the roadblocks, unfortunately, are the fact that, one, he's not probably going to be a shortstop long-term. Uh, obviously, they have Bo Bichette playing shortstop for the Blue Jays, but also just defensively, he's just not that good of a shortstop. So he's probably going to bop around to second, third outfield on occasion. That sort of versatility will get him some playing time if he makes the roster, so that's good. Um, also, Kevin Biggio still exists. And I think that's probably the one person, him and maybe Nathan Lukes, who is another prospect for the Blue Jays, that might be a bit of a roadblock for uh, Barger getting playing time right away this year. I think the upside is just so much higher for Barger, though, compared to both Biggio and Lukes, though. So it's only a matter of time before he gets his opportunity. And he's honestly, he's probably my favorite pick that I made in this entire draft. So, Yeah. Yeah, Barger already has third base eligibility along with shortstop on Yahoo. Um, but oh wow, know, to overuse the joke, I'm pretty sure we all have third base eligibility in Yahoo as Correct. well. That's yes, but it's it's good to know. <laughs> I just think though, in general, that team like I I am personally of the opinion that Whit Merrifield is done, and so I like I don't think he stands in his way at second base. The backup there is either Biggio, who really hasn't done much, or Santiago Espinal, who I don't think is well suited to being the everyday starting second baseman for a team that has world series ambitions. And so I like, I think there's a real opportunity there for Barger. And that's before you get into the fact that like Brandon belt is their DH and doesn't always have to do a great job of staying healthy. And they're relying on some, you know, guy like Springer in the outfield who hasn't always done a great job of staying healthy. Like there are going to be plate appearances available in that Toronto lineup. And I think Barger, like you said, that versatility, the fact that he's not a good defensive shortstop almost doesn't matter because that's not where he was yeah. going to get time anyways. Like at least short term, it has very little impact because Bichette is one of the few guys on that team who I feel like is both really good and really reliable. Like they just, they know what they're getting for sure. There. Same with the few guys, like there's more than just the two of them. <laughs> there's there's yeah. some good players in that team. I don't mean to downplay the Jays, but they do have a, <laughs> they do have a bunch of spots that I think there are going to be opportunities available. For sure. So after Barger, uh, you guys get your 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 turn picks here, right? And so coming back the other direction, Schwebzy, you were you were back onto the pitcher's mound. Yeah, I I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on this one. This is the the classic. Uh, if you've got an iffy bullpen situation, just bet on the talent. Um, talking about Hunter Harvey for the Nationals. Did you guys realize Hunter Harvey threw in like thirty eight games last year? Lots of shaking heads. Me neither. No. But yeah, he, he's <laughs> back. He, he, he's apparently been back for a while now, but like it's the Nationals, so he was very under the radar last year. And he pitched two... Oh, God. It was, it, I had it in front of me a second ago. It was a 2.07 FIP, I think. Yep, 2.07 FIP last year. Now, this is a guy who was an absolutely electric arm in the Baltimore system that just could not stay healthy. Now, uh, he's the most electric arm in the Nationals bullpen. Kyle Finnegan, not great. He's fine. He might pick you up some saves in like April and May, but I have a feeling that he will pitch himself out of that job or 
I, or Harvey will pitch himself into it before you know too too much of the season has gone by. The only iffiness with Harvey is that he might have a home run problem. It didn't rear its head last year, but that is in his past. So you know if the home run problem comes back, it, you know he may not be a good bet for saves. But I, I think he's got as good a chance of anybody as ending the season as the Nationals closer. Yeah, th- there was an update recently that Harvey could see save chances if Finnegan, quote, gets shifted into a fireman role rather than being used as a traditional closer. That was a, a Bobby Blanco of Masson made that report. And I, it, it sort of cracked me up hearing that because like gets moved into a fireman role is the kind of thing you think about with like Yuan Duran of the twins being like, okay, well, Lopez could be the closer there because Duran should be used whenever you need him because he's just that good. Like Finnegan is not a fireman. <laughs> That's that's not it's, how I, I think of him, but I, I like it, that it, choice of words because I think some of the other Nationals relievers are like firemen and electricians and stuff. <laughs> fair enough. That's the check uh, team. Yeah, and they're infielders and they're outfielders. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but uh, I, I do I agree with you. Like I, I just made Harvey uh, uh, my last pick in a fifteen team NFBC satellite thirty rounder, and I was like, he's still sitting out here, and I think there's. Yeah, I think there's a reasonable chance he gives me sort of like I talked about with Reynaldo Lopez, like short term, I think he gives me good rates and gets me some strikeouts. And if that's all I get from him short term, I can live with that. And the the thing that stood out to me about this report about maybe Finnegan gets moved into a fireman role is it sounds like the kind of thing the team would float so that when they demote him from the closer job, it doesn't sound like they're demoting him from the closer job. And, and that suggests to me that we are closer to Harvey being the closer than than we might realize. And so I like that pick a lot. If I hadn't already taken Lopez, he would have been very much on the radar for me. So, but I did take a picture. I was up next. And this is, this is a guy who, again, when I took him a, a week or so ago, he was already starting to get a little bit of hype and it's only grown. And the reason it's only grown is because Clark Schmidt in his last start, which was what, two days ago, I think. Yeah. in the 16th, he went, 15 up, 15 down, five perfect innings with seven strikeouts. And I know that one of you is going to point out that he was facing like, you know, the, the pirates with half their team missing or something like that. And that's okay. I get it. It's not a great team to face. A lot of people could probably get seven strikeouts while going five perfect innings against them, but it was still impressive. And and the big thing that stands out there, and I'd recommend if you go listen to the Nick Pollock's plus pitch podcast that he does daily. Uh, the day after that, he talked about how Schmidt is using in that start. He was 40% sliders and his second most used pitch was his curve. And Schmidt is a guy who like, there's been some talk about him. I don't know if it's a hype necessarily, but he's, he's a guy who's been sort of on the radar for a couple of years now. And one of the knocks in him has always been like the fastball sort of met. It's just not that exciting or that interesting a fastball. Well, if he's going to throw like 70% breakers, that's a really different look and it's working really well for him. There are, you know, it it was questionable whether or not he was going to get a shot in the Yankee rotation a few weeks ago. Then Rodon got hurt. Now Nestor Cortez is a little behind and it looks like Schmidt's basically a lock to start the season in the rotation. And at some point, as guys start to come back, I like Domingo Herman is the other guy who's going to be sort of at the back end of that rotation and Schmidt's better than him. And so I think Schmidt's the guy who's going to stick around. Now, 
if that rotation gets fully healthy, he may end up in a in a long relief roller in AAA waiting for his opportunity to come up again. And depending on what your league structure is, that may be a point at which you have to cut him. But short term, he's going to be starting. He's going to be good. And you know, we talked about this last week, Pete, this idea that like you should be focused on what's going to what could go right with these late picks and drafts. Like, don't worry so much about like, oh, am I going to get, you know, this guy's projected for 10 home runs and 10 steals. Or this guy's going to get me seven wins or like that. Just try to find guys where you're like, you know, if everything breaks the right way, this guy could be really valuable. Like it is not hard to imagine Schmidt pitching well, the Yankees continuing to have a need for him and him putting up a really good full season as a useful starting pitcher. And so I, I was thrilled to be able to get Schmidt here. Yeah. I was happy you grabbed him. I think this is a real like, piss or get off the pot situation i mean he's he's 27 years old i think he's a free agent at the end of the year like they got to figure out what they have in clark schmidt and with so many openings openings in the rotation discuss the successful spring that he has had i think there's a there's a chance he holds down that spot for a while and logs some serious innings this year i was glad you you grabbed him so i didn't have to take a yankee (laughs) i i took that for you saved you saved you from that painful painful fate so after I took Just Schmidt, Kevin was back on the clock. And Adam, you want to talk to us a little bit about Trace Thompson? Yeah, I guess so. I guess I have to. Uh, we did joke about how I could change <laughs> I was, all I was going to say, picks. of all of Kevin's picks, this would be the hardest one for me to like talk about in his absence, I think. So true. Yeah. <laughs> so I do know. All right, so the thing about Trace Thompson is that early, early in the offseason, Trace Thompson, actually Trace Thompson found his way onto the On The Wire podcast multiple times throughout the course of the offseason and to varying degrees of of discourse um and as time went on we started real like kevin's epiphany came through he's like we realized the dodgers aren't doing anything (laughs) they haven't they didn't do anything in the offseason right obviously they traded for miguel vargas i mean miguel um miguel rojas um and that turned out to be you know obviously a smart move as they lose gavin lux at the shortstop position um but they didn't do anything to their outfield. And then all of a sudden they, you know, they signed uh, Jason Hayward to a non-roster invitee after he was, you know, let go from the Cubs. Um, and that's t- turned out to be a fun a storyline this spring. Sure. Uh, but they really don't have another center fielder. And Trace Thompson looks like he's, you know, regardless of what he's doing in spring training, he is their only like kind of full-time center fielder they have on the roster. Yes, Chris Taylor can fill in. Uh, Jason Hayward, if he makes the if he makes the team, uh, could fill in there as well. Uh, but in, in in no multiverse do you kind of see any of these guys being the uh, the guy that's going to be playing there six or seven days out of the week. Um, with that being said, you know, obviously we also have outmen out there that everybody's kind of uh, thinking should gain some kind of either at least platoon role in the outfield. Um, but you got to remember, Trey Thompson doesn't have any options. Outman does. Um, and so the even even if Outman is performing um, at a level that is above others um, that he's competing with, um, he's the one that they have the opportunity to send him back down. Um, and that I, that's what I would expect to happen as well. So. Without that all being said, this is this kind of goes into the same vein as what I was talking about uh, with others that this is a major league player <laughs> with actual talent. Um, if we look at the PLV charts, uh, he's one of only I just had it up as well. Um, he's one of only six guys that came up with an 80 grade power um, throughout uh, from 2022 and obviously he has a little bit less of a sample size than all the other guys but he's on the same list as 
uh, Mike Trout, Jordan Alvarez, Aaron Judge. Yeah, I'll throw in and Kyle Schwarber. And then lo and behold, uh, Kesson Hira is at the top of that list as well. Um, but these are all guys, obviously, that have a track record. And if anybody wants to chime in with uh, Kesson Hira love, I know that there's at least one person on the pod that uh, <laughs> that is a fan. Um, but I mean, this I can I I did, was not surprised to see Kevin make this pick. Um, he is somebody that I have drafted as well in a couple places, just due to the fact that he's in the Dodgers lineup. He's I expect him to play every day, and if I'm wrong, it's an easy cut because he's going post 300, going post 350. Um, it's not somebody I'm investing a whole lot in uh, to 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 make me you know feel smart. Just a quick little exercise yeah. here. If you had to guess which of the Los Angeles Dodgers outfielders have had the best batting average so far this spring training, who do you think it would be? Uh, I'm, I'm going to assume it's Hayward. Hayward? Just for okay. everything I've been seeing. Sure, I don't have the numbers someone? in front of me. Outman? Outman, okay. Uh, Chad, Peter? Either of you I'll guess any, Trace uh, Thompson. I was going <laughs> to... Because <laughs> we're talking about him, and I, I was going to say David Peralta, just because he seems like a high average kind of guy that the Dodgers would fix. I guess if I put a threshold on it, let's say at least ten plate appearances. You're all incorrect. It's Bradley Zimmer. <laughs> <laughs> what? He's back. He never left. Where's Justin Mason? <laughs> Bradley Zimmer, really? Right. For what? He's it's hitting worth. 304 uh, this Trace, spring. Outman's hitting 281 Trace for what it's worth. Trace Thompson's, uh, Trace Thompson's hitting 105. Like a, yeah, it's not good. But uh, Trace Thompson looked like the British Barry Bonds in the the uh, World Baseball Classic. So That's true. He, looked, he did look really good there. Okay, we can't discuss Bradley that. Zimmer. I'm just pulling up Bradley Zimmer's spring game log at MLB.com because it's so hard to find anywhere else. But he still does have, it seems, a lot of strikeouts. <laughs> 13 13 he has 13 and thir- 23 at bats is that good <laughs> that an idea. Someone, someone who's good at budgeting please help me figure out if this is a good strikeout rate <laughs> so I, I, I yeah so i'm not saying that you know that that high average isn't sustainable but i have some questions <laughs> chris taylor also 16 strikeouts and 37 at bats not great either just a quick math that's a 700 babip <laughs> Oof. Oof. okay so to get enough to a about bradley zimmer uh let's take another quick break and we get back we'll be back to adam with the the pick that i think attracted the most chatter in our chat while we were having this draft so we'll be right back with that fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss that's why noom has created weight management programs that are made to last Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. 
That's noom.com to sign up for your trial today. All right. Welcome back. I teased this before the break, but yeah, th- this pick w- was the one that I think caused the most like, oh my God, I wanted him to type response. And I literally was like, huh, I didn't really realize this guy was that good. So like I knew who he was, yeah, but sure. uh, not much beyond that. And now I have him on multiple teams, all thanks to you guys. So <laughs> let's, let's clue our listeners in now as well. Yeah, unknowingly, this was a um, get back at Jordan pick of mine. Um, as he picked Barger, I couldn't pick Barger. I already had we already had a middle infielder with Volpe, and he's only eligible there at the moment. Uh, but I was I was unhappy to see so I was happy to see somebody else pick up Barger because I wanted to hear somebody else talk about him as well because um, I had picked up Barger in in the keeper cut listener league um, that I'm in with you guys obviously um, as well. So I ended up going unknowingly. Uh, picking up somebody that that Jordan really likes, um, and it's uh, Garrett Clavinger of Tampa Bay, reliever with, I, I can't say that he has no shot at saves because he's in Tampa Bay. Everybody has a shot at a save, um, but not necessarily the reason um, I picked him up here um, in, in this role. I am a big, I, I'm personally a big fan especially early on in the season of really relying on uh, relievers that are going to have good opportunities in front of them to help um, cut into your ratios in a, in a roto league, cut into your ratios, um, maybe vulture a win here or there um, and can you know, get into, get a couple strikeouts that maybe would give you a better situation than streaming a terrible pitcher, especially in like a 15 teamer. Clevenger does that um, especially with the schedule that Tampa Bay has to start the season. And it, it, they don't, they're not the team that has like four straight games in that first weekend. Um, but their first couple of series are just mwah, chef's, chef's kiss for, for pitchers. Uh, they're facing off against Detroit at home. Then they go into Washington, which granted the ballpark isn't so bad, but the lineup isn't going to do anything to scare you away um, going there as well. Um, and then they host Oakland, as well, so this, those first three series alone um, gets me gets me excited about pretty much anybody in the Tampa Bay uh, bullpen. I would have picked Jason Adam here if he he didn't just miss the cutoff for what we are looking for. Um, they have plenty of lefties in that bullpen, so they're going to be able to use these guys whenever they they need to. They don't necessarily have to pick and choose uh, when they when they're going to be rotating in, and they're going to get plenty of innings in this first um, this first couple games. Also. We got to remember this is April and mo- a lot of starters, not only just on Tampa Bay, which obviously has a history of, you know, manipulating innings and what have you for good and, you know, what not so good reasons. Uh, but in April, there's a whole lot of starters across baseball that just aren't ready and they're not going to go four or five or six innings. Um, and there's going to be a lot more opportunity for relievers to get into the game more often. And so Clevenger was right up there with uh with those options that I was going to look for and doesn't you don't necessarily have to be reaching for uh, a reliever that is going to get you saves down the line. I don't expect to hold on to Clevenger in most of my leagues past week 2. Um if if it, if it doesn't really behoove of me to do so. Um and there's also a chance that he, you know, vultures the save and I get lucky in the first 2 weeks as well because Tampa. Yeah, it was pretty salty that you took him here. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was pretty salty about it. Not, he, not the he intention. Is, not the intention. I, I understand, but you did it nonetheless. And honestly, kudos to you for that. But no, he is uh, actually the, if you look at, 
my weighted and strike rate leaderboard, he is the fourth. He has the fourth best weighted and strike rate among relievers with at least 300 pitches thrown last year. The only people that are ahead of him are Edwin Diaz, Andres Munoz, and Jason Adam. That's it. Like those are three pretty disgusting names on that list. So I really, really like Clevenger. Also, right behind him is Pete Fairbanks. So hmm. the Rays has a shockingly have a great bullpen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I've been picking him up. I said I picked him up a couple of places. I've been mostly picking him up places where I don't care about saves. So either saves plus holds leagues or my auto new four by four leagues where saves are not a thing at all. Like places where his rates will matter to me without caring about anything else. Um, but I've grabbed him a, at least one place where I do need saves. And I was like, eh, he'll get me saves. He won't get me saves. I'm not that worried about it. I think his his talent now that I've I've looked a little closer this late in drafts is is awesome. And like you said, it's really hard to know what the Rays are going to do. I think, you know, usually they end up like two or three guys who are their primary guys. And if he steps into one of those spots, that's just gravy. So I really like that pick. Yeah. When he uh, we came were back, back on the clock. Just to, just to, if you look at his game log too from last year, when he came back up um, into the bullpen at the end of August, like he was he was pitching a lot of two inning or multi uh, more than one inning um, outings as well. So it gives him more of an opportunity to, you know, volume his way into, you know, that extra strikeout or, you know, cut into your ratios even more. So um, as he gave up only two runs um, in that, in that time frame as well uh, throughout those, I think it was about, I think there's about eight, eight or nine outings that he, that he was in there. So um, really safe, great safe play there. So after that, Keeper cut back on the clock and Pete with the, maybe the least surprising pick of the entire draft. Yeah. It's crazy that you guys let me get the AL Cy Young this late um, in in our draft, but I took Tanner Houck of your Boston Red Sox. Um, There's a, there's a couple things about this that can definitely make people scratch their heads. Um, And, and I guess innings pitch would be number one. Um, but a couple things about that for for Hauk. Number one, the Red Sox rotation is not healthy right now. I don't know if it's been healthy in like five years. And he's going to start the season most likely in the rotation. Um, Whitlock coming off hip surgery might not be ready. Bayo with the forearm tightness. He's getting a start next week, but um, he's probably not going to be ramped up in time. Uh, and obviously James Paxton um, hurt his hamstring earlier in spring training. So most likely Hauk's going to start Hauk's going to start the year in the rotation. Um, another thing about that is like, we're looking past pick 350. So if you're picking a starter who has like a guaranteed rotation spot past pick 350, he probably sucks. So like, why not target a guy who has a chance to get like, like Brandon fought was kind of a similar mindset. And for what it's worth, this was for our, our P slot, um, Tanner Houck. And number three about his um, innings pitched is Cora was asked about what he kind of expects for the workload for Houck this year. Um, and although he was non-committal about making him like a permanent starter, which I don't, I don't know why he would. At the same time, he did say he wants to maximize the amount of innings that Hauk pitches. He wants the most innings possible out of Tanner Hauk this year. So even if he is in the bullpen, it's not going to be in like a one inning type role. Um, there was a little bit of conversation about his slider taking a dip last year, but he he was in a tough spot last year. He was obviously hurt and ended up with back surgery. Um, he says he's fully healthy now. The Red Sox seem pretty convinced that he's fully healthy and he's looked okay this spring. Um, so I'm not worried about the back. I'm not worried about the numbers from last year. It's still an awesome slider. Um, in this spring training, he's been showing a new pitch 
Um, I, I'm not going to like pretend I know how to tell the differences here because uh, I don't. Uh, but apparently Twitter doesn't either. So I'm, I'm not alone in that. But he's, this new pitch is either um, an adjustment to the splitter he threw before or it's a changeup. And if you just search on search on Twitter, Tanner Houck changeup and, and watch it this spring, it looks nasty, whatever that pitch is. The ERA this spring is a little high. He did get tagged for two homers um, by Matt Olson, but like, you know, Matt Olson will will do that. And I think at least one of them was off that new pitch. So as how continues to get a feel for it, um, you know, hopefully he starts throwing it better and better because it has looked good in spots. And that was a big critique about Tanner Houck, um, if you guys remember, was that he doesn't have that third pitch. And that kind of drove me crazy. It just feels like such a lazy, easy thing to say um, because he really didn't have an opportunity to go through a lot of lineups a third time. Now that he does have that third pitch, hopefully that kind of uh, satisfies whatever coaches were standing in the way of him having that rotation spot um, and going deeper into games. So Hauk with a new pitch, he's healthy. Red Sox rotation is kind of in shambles already, and it's it's March 18th, man, so that's not great. Um, kind of holding out hope that we can still get some some good innings out of Hauk this year. Yeah, obviously just sort of a, a given that Pete's going to take Tanner Hauk when given the choice to take Tanner Hauk, so... <laughs> It's just a matter of time before before he made that pick. I actually thought, like, here I am. I thought, you know, okay, Pete took Brandon Fat. I've taken Clark Schmidt. We have filled up our starting pitching. I, I've blocked Pete. He can't take Tanner Houck. And no, no, Tanner Houck can slide into a relief spot. So he's just he's so versatile. Life finds a way. <laughs> Life finds a way. That's right. So after we took Houck, Jordan, you were back on the clock and – I don't know. Maybe maybe you were just like on tilt after Adam took Clevenger and decided you had to to grab a reliever. I hate this pick. <laughs> really? I despise this pick. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to talk. I really just want to use this opportunity to just talk about what, like, honestly, what what the hell is going on in Arizona? <laughs> my my pick was Joe Mantiply. Joe Mantiply last year by weighted and strike rate ranked up pretty well. He was like alongside names that are like good relievers, like Yuan Duran and Rysel Iglesias. Like he was solid last year, um, but he has not been that same pitcher so far in spring training and is, isn't inspiring much confidence. And between the signings of like Miguel Castro and Scott McGuff and also Kevin Ginkle has been really, really good so far this spring. Like all those guys are putting up good numbers in spring training and are very clearly uh, better candidates for that closer spot. I took Mantiply thinking that he could maybe pitch his way into the discussion for the closer role in Arizona. That's not been the case at all. Uh, so I guess, is is there any opinions on the Arizona closer situation from any of you here? I, I took it's, McGuff with my last... So I was just talking about how I took Hunter Harvey with my last pick in that satellite. McGuff yeah. was my pick before that. He was my 29th round pick in that league. Um, but that isn't a, that's not a vote of confidence or a like, oh, I think this will be the guy that was just like, a, huh, I still need a couple more relievers at the end of this draft. And actually I took McGuff and then like three minutes later I was like, oh, I should have taken Harvey before him. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I was very happy Harvey fell back to me because I, I was planning on taking two relievers anyways. And, and yeah, I don't know. You know, you're, you're, you're saying like Mantle hasn't pitched his way into the conversation, but like, Given that they're what they're doing with the rotation, maybe they're just going to let Mantiply close anyways. They're just going to be like, no, we're, no, we're letting the, the, the oldest, to feel least talented pitcher we Chad. can find. You guys, I know you're you trying guys to make me feel better. Wrong. This is not helping. 
Mark Melanson is going to save 25 games with a 4-5 ERA. We all Mark know Melanson it's doesn't happen. have a working shoulder right now. Yeah, He's not healthy. You have two of them. Has he ever? Yeah. Has he ever? Well, no. Okay, so honestly, if I could redo this pick, you know who I would pick instead? I would pick uh, Caleb Thielbar. Hmm. Just because? Genuinely. Uh, well, he's got three pitches that have a CSW north of 30%. Uh, PLV loves him. Uh, he's also just, for me, kind of a cool story because he was a guy who stopped pitching after like 2015 uh, and became a, I think it was a D2 college baseball coach for a few years and then decided, okay, I'm going to go back and start pitching again. And now he had a 12K per nine last year at age 35, which is nuts to me. I don't know. He's like a very interesting pitcher. He's a lefty. There's a few lefties in that bullpen. Obviously, there's like two or three pitchers that you would think of first in Minnesota. But as far as like a K per nine, like if you have like ratios like that in your leagues, obviously we're drafting this as if it's a five by five. But I mean, pretty much all of his like underlying data and I guess overlying data looked great last year. So I I really like Caleb Thielbar. Yeah. Okay. Well, now that we've allowed... Jordan to make two picks with his yeah, last. Sorry, Schwebzy, <laughs> uh, you are back on the clock, and hopefully, you like your pick more than Jordan likes Mantiply. I do. Uh, Chaz McCormick is one of those guys that I cannot <laughs> seem to quit. The way I, the I, way you said "I do" there was the most like I do, but only I, because I'm Jordan hated his pick yeah. so much <laughs> that he's, I couldn't possibly he's so like sick of me. He's so sick of no, me at this point. I like. Chaz McCormick, I, I, he's like an archetype of player that I'm finding that I wind up really liking in deep leagues because he plays elite defense, which is not something that helps us in fantasy, except for the fact that it should, in theory, keep him on the field. And in in deep leagues, you need your players to play, and when you're drafting late, sometimes you know the, the players don't play. So, Chaz McCormick is a righty. He plays in Houston. He's got those Crawford boxes out in left field that uh, make it really easy for righties to hit home runs. How many uh, how many home runs do you guys think Chaz McCormick pulled last year? I'm going to say like two because you're making it sound like I should be surprised how low it is. <laughs> Zero. He hit the Crawford boxes exactly, exactly zero times last year, which is disappointing. I, I was hoping like I would look at his profile and be like, oh, yeah, like a small tweak will uh, will make him hit a bunch more home runs. But no, he's actually all of his power is to the opposite field. He's got he's actually got a, a DJ LeMahieu swing and would do awesome in Yankee Stadium looks like. But uh, yeah, I this is all about him being in the lineup every day because of his elite center field defense and being in a great lineup. He's going to have so many RBI opportunities hitting like seventh or eighth for Houston. Of course, he's never, ever, ever going to get driven in because uh, Martin Maldonado hits behind him. But I think he's got, you know, above average power. I think in a full like 600 at bat season, he hits 25 home runs with roughly a league average batting average. I think the, the, the walk rate was kind of fluky last year. Uh, he had he had like a, an 87th percentile walk rate with no data that really supports a walk rate that good. But no, I, I think he's a good enough real life baseball player that he should be a, a solid accumulator if the Astros stop uh, messing around with their center field spot. And oh, God, who who's the other center fielder they have that they keep on running out there every now and then? I, I'm blanking Dubon? on his name. No, no, not Dubon. Dubon out there times, right? 
he's like he's like a really uh, uh jake myers is the other one that's him oh myers right right they're actually similar players but i do like Chaz a, a bit more got it yeah Chaz. i mean it sounds a little bit like there's some there's some overlap with the the trace thompson pick of like He's got a job and he's probably going to keep that job. And so he's probably going to at least have the opportunity to do enough to have impact. And I think um, sometimes I think we forget about that as, as fantasy managers that we're like, you, you get, you know, you go after the shiny thing and the like, who's going to go out there and put up, could put up video game numbers if they just get a shot and blah, blah, blah. And like the dude who just goes out there and plays every day and puts up numbers because of that is, is quite useful. And so, yeah. Worth, so roster resource roster resource currently has Jake Myers penciled in as the center fielder and McCormick penciled in as the left fielder while Brantley is hurt. Uh, and I, I'm, I feel pretty confident that once Brantley is healthy, that uh, Myers is the one that goes to the bench while McCormick gets shifted into center field. But this is actually a, like, this is a pretty shallow Houston team this year. Like their bench right now is Mauricio Debone, David Hensley, JJ Matijevic. And Corey Lee, I've definitely said that name wrong, but yeah, it's it's not a strong bench. Like, there's no one pressing for time in center field, really. And I'm looking at I'm looking at roster resource too, and who knows what'll happen when Brantley comes back. And by the way, it actually might look like Jose Altuve misses some time after uh, getting hit on the hands tonight in the World Baseball <laughs> yeah. Classic. Um, oh, I missed that. That sucks. Yeah, the bone season. It looks like Daniel Bard had the yips there, but um, mm-hmm. if you look at the three names in front of him. McCormick on roster resource, Jordan Alvarez, Jose Abreu, Jeremy Pena. And assuming when Brantley comes back, one of those names is actually Kyle Tucker. Like he could be a sneaky late RBI target as well. Yep. So we talked a bit earlier about Addison Barger being a post 780 P and teased that there was a pick coming up later. That was actually even poster 700 more post 700. And that's my next pick. And I'm on the clock now. And I took Blake Sable, who is a catcher with the Giants. Uh, his ADP at the time we did this was 714, 715, roughly. So that's that's about as late as it gets. Uh, you're, you're now at the point where it's like ADP doesn't actually mean anything. It's just how many times did somebody decide to take the guy? So at 715, here's the thing with, with Sable. First of all, he's a catcher. And there are uh, <laughs> there were not great options at catcher in this draft, I don't think. Sable though has a couple of other things going for him. Uh, he's a Rule Five pick, so he was he's from the Pirates organization, was picked by the Reds, and then traded to the Giants. But the Rule Five restrictions follow that trade, so he still needs to stay on the roster, or else they have to offer him back to Pittsburgh. Given Pittsburgh doesn't really have that much talent in their organization. They might want him back. So uh, I I think there's a good chance he sticks simply because of that should give him a nice long leash roster resource currently has him penciled in as the DH hitting ninth. There were also some reports that he could get some time in the outfield. So the giants have him, they've got to keep him on the roster. They are looking for ways to get him in the lineup. Those are all very, very good things. He is having a great spring. He has three home runs. He stole a base. He's got a over 1,300 OPS in spring. All, like I said, good things. And then I went and looked at his minor league numbers. And the big question that jumps out at me is, why was Pittsburgh leaving this guy unprotected? So 
Last year, he started the year in double A, got 412 plate appearances, put up a 361 Woba, hit 14 home runs. Like, solid season. Almost a 10% walk rate at 9.2%, had a 26% strikeout rate, which is, you know, high but not crazy. Then he gets promoted to triple A and puts up a 424 Woba. He raises his walk rate to 16.8%, had a 21.8% strikeout rate. So big improvement there. Just 101 plate appearances. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But he basically, between the two highest levels in the minors, had very good offensive season, 19 home runs, and stole 10 bases only being caught twice across those two levels. Now, none of that is all that exciting when you're talking about a potential outfielder or a DH especially when hitting in San Francisco, which is not a great hitter's park, but he's a catcher from fantasy purposes, right? So like if he is their DH and sometimes plays in the outfield and is also the backup catcher and gets some time in different spots and whatever, and he's a totally mediocre ninth place hitter, that could be awesome for a fantasy catcher. Like if he played, if he gets 500 plate appearances hitting 15 to 20 home runs and stealing 10 bases is totally within reach for him. And if he does that, like, that's a great season out of a catcher. Like, it doesn't even matter what else he does. You, you'll take that from your catcher position, especially in, like, two catcher leagues, things like that. So, to me, it's like they've got to find a way to use him. they got to keep him on the roster. And the upside, you know, I said before, like, think about what can go right. Like, the upside here is a really good fantasy catcher. I think this was a way more interesting catcher pick than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Also, way yeah. more interesting than mine, which is literally just a carbon copy of what I picked last year. I'm pretty I, sure. I saw that. <laughs> well, you guys, uh, you guys, it, it is. You did pick the same catcher two years in a row. I did. Yeah. No. Yes. Um, I like this. This is the this is the guy that, especially if you if you draft in a like draft and holds those fifty rounders or whatnot. There's always a point in the draft where all of a sudden you start seeing these quote like sneaky catchers or the the mystery catchers pop up. Um, Yanier Diaz is the guy that I've been picking as the guy in Houston who's only UT only. Um, Shay Langleyers obviously is UT only, but he's going a lot earlier than this. Um, but the US Sable who technically has already has the catcher eligibility um, on, on connected to him, but you just don't think of him that way. Um, especially since he was a rule five pick, he was only one of two positional players drafted um, in the rule five draft this year. Um, I like this a lot. I liked it a lot better when he was drafted by Cincinnati and for that five minutes, he was going to be hitting in, in, in that ballpark. And then five minutes yeah. later, he, he gets transferred over to San Francisco in the complete opposite direction as far as ballpark factors go. Um, but it, yeah. the opportunity seems to be there. And I, I like this. I like the sneaky pick a lot. There'd be a roller coaster for anyone, anyone who was like following him prior to the rule five draft and was like, oh, he looks interesting, but he's got to hit in Pittsburgh. Oh, he's going to Cincinnati. Oh, he's not going to Cincinnati. <laughs> like, just like one extreme to the other and right back again. So, uh, Adam, with that, you are you are back up defending one of Kevin's picks. And I, I'm curious here. This is a guy I'm sort of interested in, too, and I, I'm, I'm curious to hear your analysis of him. Yeah, I wish um, I wish I had some for you to uh, to listen to, but um, <laughs> yeah, this guy's pick. I mean, Brian Abreu for for me, a guy like Abreu, this is a volume pick early on in the season as well. Houston has eight straight games to start the season, um, and to my point earlier, relievers are going to have a lot more opportunity to get into games. And this is a guy who, if he's in games, he's going to be striking out players. Um, he, you know, a lot of people kind of like him as the heir apparent to Ryan Presley when he 
inevitably gets hurt or spends some time in the IL. Um, some people obviously are going toward uh, Montero in that direction, but Abreu, um, it would be my pick um, to be that even if he's not like the setup guy or the eighth inning guy, um, he would be the guy that I would think uh, will get end up pushed into the ninth inning role if Presley opens it up for whatever reason. Um, and but really, this is this comes down to the kind of volume that you could see out of him in the first you know two weeks of the season, um, and the the kind of volume, the kind of value you're going to get out of him as a reliever. To to Pete's point earlier, if you're picking a starter at this point, and you know who's what kind of value are you actually expecting to get out of him, especially early on. Um, this is why I'm usually tempted to go after the high end relievers who are going to get you plenty of strikeouts on a winning ballpark. He might not vulture a win because he's going to be coming into games a little bit later, um, at least easier than a guy like Clevenger who might come in in the fifth inning or, you know, earlier around that, that time period. Um, but he's still going to get you strikeouts and he's going to, you know, he's, he's definitely not going to hurt your ratios for sure. So right after Kevin took a Breu, you were, you were up and this time got to pick, the, the boring catcher, the uninteresting catcher. So try to make him interesting. All right, Get us all excited right. about Omar Nevarez. <laughs> I have actually drafted Omar Nevarez, and I, I had drafted him probably like two weeks prior to uh, to getting to this pick in this mock draft. Um, and the only reason I picked him is because I had already drafted Shea Langoliers as my second catcher. Um, and I knew I was going to need a catcher for the first, you know, probably two weeks of the season. Um, as it looks like Langley's is going to get that catcher eligibility pretty quickly. Um, as Amini Pena is, uh, looking like he's going to miss quite a bit of time, uh, with an injury of his own as he's getting his, uh, I think it's his knee double checked to the same knee he had, uh, troubling him at the end of last season as well. So, I think he's going to be playing. He's going to be spending plenty of time behind the plate to start the season. He's going to get that catcher eligibility within like the first two, two and a half weeks of the season. Um, that being said, I still need somebody to fill that second catcher spot. And this Nevaez in the Mets have another another team that have eight straight games, um, eight straight days with games, and so I'm able to get as much volume as I can out of that position, even if he obviously doesn't play every single day as a catcher tends not to do um especially a catcher you're picking this late in the draft uh he's still you know gonna play enough to you know on a on a on a, on a in a lineup that is you know still a good lineup regardless of any kind of injury concerns that we keep continuing to see sorry shrubsy and you know I, I have no problem dropping him at the at the end of that time period when Lingers gets that catcher eligibility that's it. So, so much like the Mets, you've signed Omar Narvaez to hold down the job for a couple short weeks period of time. Yes, exactly. Actually, good catcher to come up. <laughs> That's Got exactly. It. I'm just in life imitating art, or the other way around, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you didn't really help make him more exciting. That that didn't work, <laughs> but 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 the pick makes sense. I can understand it. So, we are going to go now to another Met player. Um, who I think is exciting. I just picked this guy in the prospect portion of a draft and I was thrilled because he fell to me in the second round. And I did not think he should based on the rules in this league. So I was ecstatic to get him. Um, but Pete's the one who took him here. So Pete, let's, let's talk about a, a Met who's actually interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, Brett Beatty is kind of like a cheat code for this activity because if it's said that he's going to start the year with the Mets, then he's not going to. <laughs> Sorry, Schwebzy, for taking Beatty. He's yelling at me in the chat. Um, 
But he, if it said like, oh, Brett Beatty's going to start the year as the third baseman for the New York Mets, then his ADP is going to jump way higher, lower. I can't even remember what we said the rule is, but it'll be better than 350 or worse than three. I, I'm lost now. Earlier, earlier, earlier. Thank you. It'll be earlier than 350. Um, but anyway, I chose him anyway to to cheat the system and apparently upset upset Schwebzy. And uh, because you know everybody's pretty familiar with Brett Beatty, I wanted to find something kind of anecdotal that would make him stick out. And although fielding doesn't matter for fantasy, it does matter for play time, particularly for young players. And Beatty's defense had a lot to be desired, um, at least according to scouts. Not that I would know, uh, but he's been working this offseason. I didn't know that Eric Chavez, former All Star Gold Glove third baseman with the Oakland Athletics, I did not know he was on the coaching staff with the Mets working with directly with obviously Brett Beatty, but Brett Beatty also sought help from Troy Tulowitzki, who is obviously an incredible fielder, albeit a shortstop for the Colorado Rockies and then the Toronto Blue Jays. So um, he's made a lot of progress. Even Buck Showalter talked about it. There's, there's a lot of promise there. Buck Showalter gave the ringing endorsement of saying he will be fine at third base, which when it comes to like an old timey manager, like Buck Showalter, I feel like that's him saying he loves Brett Beatty at third base. So um, we'll take that. And Beatty is having an excellent spring. Um, so far, he's 13 for 33. He does have a homer, two steals. The on-base percentage is over 500. And I think that matters because although the Brandon Nimmo injury doesn't necessarily directly relate to Brett Beatty, it does suggest that that the Mets are going to need more offense. Beatty, I think, does give more offense than Eduardo Escobar, um, particularly with the ability to get on base, which Brandon Nimmo is known for. If that's missing from the Mets for a while, um, Beatty never posted a walk rate under 11 and percent in the minor leagues. Um, he's a guy who can get on base and kind of fill that void from Nimmo. I know they're saying it's like ankle soreness or something with Nimmo, but he was like barely getting off the field and they're like, Oh, his ankle hurts a little. Like, I, I don't know how much of that I buy. So I don't know how long he will be out for. And one final note, um, Beatty's in competition, obviously with Eduardo Escobar. And if you just look at the surface numbers from last year, it's like, oh, all right, Eduardo Escobar was fine. He had a 106 WRC plus. He was his usual decent self. Going into the last month of the season, going into September, that WRC plus was 86. He was hitting 218. He had a career worst strikeout rate of 24 and a half. Now, I can't take that last month from him, but it was almost like Bo Bichette to a much worse degree that like he needed a monster September just to look decent. 34 years old, he's clearly on the downswing of his career, whereas Beatty is is obviously a top prospect ready to take that job. And we know it's an owner that doesn't care. He'll He's just going to want the best players on the field. Um, and I just think that Nimmo injury makes it that much more likely that we will see Brett Beatty with the Mets to start the season. It bothers me so much that I'm not like more like more easily able to find savant data during spring training because I really want to know more about like the types of balls that Beatty is hitting. Because he's got like a 500 Babbitt in spring training, like his his line is inflated by a lot of singles. So I I want to know if he's hitting like line drives or just squeaking them through the hole. He is a lefty, so the the shift rules should help him. But what I want to see out of Beatty is more balls driven into the gaps, more balls hit in the air, and he hasn't done that so far. So I mean, obviously, I'm I'm super excited about Beatty as as a Mets fan and as a a, a Pete Ball hater right now. But uh, yeah, this is uh, I we we did our corner infield episode uh, literally yesterday, and I spent a lot of time talking about Beatty. I'm very excited about him, but also uh, I'm I'm a little concerned that he's got like a little like Alec Baum in him, where he's not going to elevate the ball enough to be like a real really good fantasy asset, more and more of a uh, compiler. But I do I do love the potential, and 
I, you know, there, there were like three guys in last year's draft that wound up like wildly overperforming their, their uh, ADP in our post 350 draft last year. I think Beatty has as good a chance of anybody that we're talking about today of, you know, being one of those guys this year. Yeah, I think they were talking about Beatty on rates and barrels like a couple days ago, a few days ago, a week ago, something. And, you know, Saris mentioned the, the round ball, the fly ball ratio being a problem. But one of the things he talked about was that young players, that's the kind of thing that players grow into over time. And so he feels really good about Beatty long-term being able to, to resolve that problem. But I think the, the question of does he resolve it this year is a fair one, it, you know, depending on what your league settings are, right? For, for Pete and I talking about our keeper leagues, um, I'm more interested in that long-term potential. And so it, it doesn't concern me a ton in a redraft. I start to get a little bit iffier about like, uh, will, you know, how quickly can he solve that issue? Even if I think he will eventually. So yeah, but it's a good, as a far good as call. playing time, like it's a different regime, but it wasn't that long ago that the Mets had Alonso on the opening day roster when, you know, they could have very easily had him start the year in the minors. So, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully history repeats itself there. Yeah. With that, you guys are on the clock now for in the deep and Jordan, do you just want us to, to find the recording of last year's episode and like edit your clip in here for your, yeah, can, you just splice, can you just splice that in from last year's <laughs> episode? Cause it's pretty much the exact same thing that I'm going to say. Uh, when it comes right down to it, and of course, uh, we mentioned this before. I'm talking about Jorge Alfaro. Uh, this is a guy that I still like a lot because he has a power speed combo that you won't often find at the catcher position. Apparently, Blake Sable, also possibly someone who could pitch in some steals uh, at the catcher position. But uh, Alfaro, 85th percentile sprint speed last year as a catcher, which is pretty wild to think about considering how big he is. He's 6'3", 230, and can just move. Uh which is awesome. Um, he's likely to be a weak side platoon guy for the Red Sox. So I do worry about the total at bats that he is going to get to a certain extent. Um, he does most of his damage on fastballs and gets beat on breaking and off speed stuff a lot. His strikeout rate is absolutely going to be north of 30%. It pretty much has been every single year that he's been in the majors. And the walk rate's not going to be very good either. So if it's like an LBP league, probably just stay away. Um, the thing that was encouraging last year, though, is that. He had the lowest ground ball rate of his career, and he started pulling the ball more. If that trend continues, I could see him having a lot of success in Boston. Um, he was hitting a lot of line drives. I think the average could be at least serviceable for a second catcher, like right around 240, 250, right in that range, which is always good. And I think he ends up, I mean, his projections only have him at like 190-ish plate appearances right now. I think he's going to be close to like 300 uh, at the end of the day. Um, and he's done some damage in his limited spring training action. He's actually eight for 11 so far in spring training in limited action. So that's always exciting too, with three extra base hits. So, yeah, I like that pick last year. I like it again this year. I, I, it's, I I think my big concern with Alfaro is, is is the playing time. Like, is he going to actually play enough to, even if he performs well, really have an impact, but I mean, if you're like coming up on the 400th pick in your draft and you need a second catcher, like you could do a lot worse than a guy who, like you said, can, he's got some pop, he's got some speed. He can do a little bit of everything for you. And that's, that's useful. That's the thing. He wasn't terrible against lefty or against righties last year either. He hit 238, which isn't bad. I would say. And I, I think they're just going to go with the best bat. And like, I don't think that, 
Reese McGuire has a grip on the catcher's roll. Um, wow. Which is more. <laughs> wow. Just tried to slip that in there. So, so slyly. Slip what? Uh, uh, anyway, oh, I, I don't think Reese McGuire has a, has a firm grip on that catcher's role. And I, Connor Wong's banged up. And Alfaro, I, I don't know. I kind of want them to start the year with Alfaro. Um, so I, I like that one. He's a light target for me. Too. Well, after that, Schwebzy, you've got the, the final in the deep pick. You guys needed a corner infielder to finish out your roster. Talk to us a little bit about the man you grabbed. All right. I, just, I wanted to use this opportunity to bring up a, a weird ADP thing. Howard Ramirez was drafted is being drafted around 390 uh, on in in the uh, list we pulled up. Oscar Gonzalez is being drafted around 200. What is the difference between these two players other than maybe 5 to 10 home runs? Is there 200 spots of ADP difference between Oscar Gonzalez and Harold Ramirez? It's like that office meme where it's like you've got the two pictures and it's like, it's the same picture. This is the same player, give or take five to 10 home runs. I think, and I, that's not to say that Oscar Gonzalez is bad. I think he's got a little bit more power potential in his bat, but these are guys that hit the ball really hard, really consistently should have regular lineup spots, you know, for pretty good teams with that should have lots of guys on base. And I, you know, I, I think they f- will fill a similar spot on fantasy teams as good batting average guys that, you know, will occasionally surprise you with a home run. I like Howard Ramirez a lot. I've had him on my AL only teams for the last couple of years since he uh, resurfaced. And I, I love having him there as like a batting average stabilizer and a light accumulator. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to answer your, your question. And I, I don't know that it fully explains the entire gap in ADP, but I think it explains at least some of it and, and certainly explains why I would take Gonzalez first. Yes, I think there's more power in Gonzalez's bat, but let's leave that aside for a moment. He is four years or five years younger, four years younger, three years younger. He's he's younger, but he's also a lot less experienced, which I, in this case I think is a, is a positive in that I think there is more of a sense that we know what Harold Ramirez is. And like, it's not that exciting, I don't think. Gonzalez, like Gonzalez last year, if you go by Woba, Gonzalez last year was better than Ramirez was. And what Ramirez was last year at 327 versus 339 for Gonzalez, that 327 is far and away the best that Ramirez has put up in his career. So last year, the gap wasn't necessarily huge, but you're talking about easily the best year of a career for a guy who's got a track record that I think is sort of unexciting versus a a 24 year old having a breakout season where I think it's easier to dream on what Gonzalez could be. Right. I think there's more of a a belief that there could be another, he could take another step. There could be another level there. Now I say that as someone who has been cautioning my fellow guardians fans for the last six to 12 months that Oscar Gonzalez, as well as he started playing last year, is not necessarily a guy I think you want to be relying on for the long term. And it's for, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons for that. I don't, I don't need to need to go into that right now. So I'm not, I'm not saying this to say like, Oh, I think Gonzalez is a star and Ramirez is being drafted appropriately. I think Gonzalez is probably going too early and Ramirez is probably going too late, but I do think there's a meaningful difference between them in terms of 
uh, ceiling and potential. Sure. You know, everyone likes to dream on a young player. The, you know, the, the point I'm, I'm trying to make here is that they're closer in value than, you know, that huge ADP gap would uh, suggest. So after talking about Harold Ramirez and talking about Oscar Gonzalez briefly, uh, we're going to talk about a guy who basically got jettisoned from Cleveland in part because Oscar Gonzalez made him irrelevant, I think. Uh, and that's Will Benson. He was my pick with our, our final keeper cut pick. And, and Benson, um, you know, as I got jettisoned, he was, he was traded to Cincinnati. Uh, the, the trade was basically a like, we're going to trade a prospect who needs to be on the 40 man and needs a shot right now for a prospect who doesn't need to be on the 40 man and is a couple years away and just kick the can down the road, which given where the guardians are makes, makes sense. I'm totally fine with that, but I'm kind of excited about Benson, especially in Cincinnati. We've talked about that ballpark a couple times here and, and, and with Benson, I mean, here's the thing. This is a guy, he was a first round pick. He's got legit pedigree. He is a, a power speed guy. He's had, multiple 20 home run seasons in the minor leagues. He had 17 home runs last year in 401 AAA plate appearances. He also has had, he has pushed 20 steals. I think he's crossed over 20 steals once in the minors. Last year, he stole 16 bases in AAA. But this is like, this is a guy who is a a, a center fielder who could put up a 2020 season pretty easily if he gets the playing time especially in Cincinnati where 20 home runs is, is what you get if you like have two arms and know how to swing a baseball bat. So he's in a, a good spot there. The big question with Benson historically has been strikeout rate. And if you go back and look at his minor league numbers, um, this isn't just like, Oh, as he's gotten close to the majors, he's struggled with strikeouts. Like 2016 in rookie ball, he had a 32.6% strikeout rate. Okay, this is, you know, rookie ball just getting started. Next year, low A, 33.9%. Next year, A ball, 30%. Next year, A ball, 30.1%. Like, he's been striking out a lot basically forever. When he did finally get to the high minors in 2021, it got worse, as you'd expect. And then all of a sudden, 2022, he made some changes, and he brought his strikeout rate down to 22.7% in 401 AAA plate appearances. He also has historically always walked a ton. So part of this is that he's just a patient hitter, right? He, he takes a lot of pitches. He strikes out a lot. He walks a lot. But last year, that AAA struck out 18, or sorry, he struck out 22.7% of the time. He walked 18.7% of the time. Now, none of that carried over to the majors. Now, part of that is he got very inconsistent playing time. He appeared in 28 games and got 61 plate appearances. Like that is not conducive to any player showing what they can do. But he did strike out 31% of the time and walk under 5% of the time. I am effectively just throwing out what he did in the majors last year because of that playing time situation. Like he just never really got a shot. As of right now, it kind of looks like he is going to be the everyday center fielder for the Reds. And if he is the everyday center fielder for the Reds, then he's in a pretty good spot to show whether or not that improved strikeout rate is legit. If that improved strikeout rate is legit, he's going to get on base at a really high rate and he's going to be a good power speed combo for you. If that improved strikeout rate was a fluke and he's striking out 35% of the time in the majors, you're going to have to move on because it's going to get real ugly real fast. Uh, there was a conversation earlier in this episode about Bradley Zimmer. Maybe it's just the, you know, Cleveland center field prospect 
thing that that stands out to me but like there are some real similarities there in a guy who is has all the tools is absolutely talented enough to succeed but if he cannot consistently put the bat on the ball it could get ugly um benson last year those strides were huge and i think they were legit and so i'm willing to take a bet on that i feel like we've been um, we've, we've heard a lot of the Cincinnati reclamation projects of the, of this off season quite a bit. And I know we talked about it on the wire quite a, uh, quite a bit. And you, you get to a point though, where you realize only so many of these reclamation projects can actually succeed. Um, there are only so many mouths that you can actually feed on a regular playing time that will make them fantasy viable to an, a, a, to an amount that, they can actually take advantage of the stadium that they're in. Obviously that's one of the biggest selling points of any, any hitter going into Cincinnati at this point. Um, but I mean, when you are trying to figure out who of that bunch of, you know, Jake Fraley, Will Myers, uh, Nick Solak is still on that roster. Now Will, Will Benson as well. Um, and you know, you still have a often slash currently injured uh, Nick Senzel in the outfield as well. So I do worry about the playing, the overall playing time for all of these guys. And I, I'm, I, I get worried that none of them will actually hit that point that we all kind of, maybe not all, but a few of us are hoping like when Will Myers signed there, his ADP went skyrocketed because reasons. Um, and, you know, same thing. I mean, people were interested in Nick Solak again, just because he signed in Cincinnati. Um, and so I think the the same conversation was being had about Benson when, you know, he moved over there as well. Um, now that it looks like he, you know, he might not start in the minors. He might actually start up here in the majors as well. Uh, that is beneficial. Um, but I do worry about, you know, again, not every not every guy in Cincinnati is going to actually be able to succeed. Hopefully, Benson is is one of them, though. Yeah, I think the thing with with Benson is right now. So, like looking at roster resource right now, they have him starting in center field. It looks like they may have him in a platoon. It's sort of weird. They've got Fraley, Friedel, and Benson as the starting outfielders, all with the little platoon thing next to them, and it's. Then the, like, the guys on the bench that they have platooning with them are Kirk Casale, Chad Pinder, and Stuart Fairchild, which is just like such a weird combination of players. And we, we've already seen like Cincinnati has already said that Tyler Stevenson's only going to catch like four out of every 10 days, but then he's going to play first base a couple times and DH three times. And, like I, it's just it's it is super hard to tell what's going on there. So for me with Benson, and I think it's true with Steer, although Steer, and we've talked about third base is a little bit more open, but with any of these guys. The thing I like about Benson, and it's true of Fraley, and it's true of Friedel, and it's true of Steer, is they have a job right now, or at least they appear to, which means they can go out there in April, and like if Benson goes out and has a great April, he's going to keep playing. Like I don't think he gets displaced by Senzel or Fairchild or Chad Pinder or whoever else if he's playing well. If he's not, he's not, and that's that's that, right? And that, that's true of all these guys. But I think if you're going to take a bet on one of these guys right now or multiple of these guys right now, take a bet on the ones who are on the field today or expect to be on the field on opening day because they're the ones who are going to have a chance to run with the job and to show what they can do. And you'll know within a few weeks, was this a waste? Should I should I move on? As opposed to grabbing someone like Senzel, who you might be sitting for weeks or months waiting to see if it was a good decision or not. So with that, we are down to our very last pick. 
And and Kevin got to make the pick of Mr. Irrelevant, but he's not here. So Adam, you got one more, one last time, defend Kevin's work for him. No, I'm not doing that with this one. I'm sorry, Kevin. Um, and that's ultimately he picked Ryan Nelson in Arizona. Um, and this kind of goes against, uh, again, what the kind of guy I'm going to be drafting at this point, um, to your point, uh, Chad, like draft the guy that, you know, has the job right now. And there's, I have zero percent confidence that Ryan Nelson has a job right now, uh, for Arizona in, in their rotation. You know, I'd be more apt to go after the aforementioned, uh, Brandon Fott. Um, as the number five starter, but it, you know it, it'll probably be Dre Jameson based on how what we've been seeing these guys do in spring training and, and just how they're performing. Um, and I know we are hitting up uh, against our clock real quick, so I'm just going to throw out a different name and love uh, you know Schwebji to chime in here. And I'm probably going to go with David Peterson just because I think he's going to end up getting that number five spot if he hasn't already um, as the only lefty option that they really have to fill in Jose Quintana's spot as the previous only lefty in that rotation. Um, they, the, as I mentioned before, the Mets have a lot of games early on and that early, that early season schedule is looking pretty tempting as well. Um, and, and so Peterson, David Peterson would be the one that I would be going after. And if it doesn't, it's one of those where if it doesn't work out, you'll know really quickly and you'll be able to move on pretty quickly. So uh, as the resident Mets guy, I like both of them a lot, whichever has the fifth starter job I'm interested in. I think McGill has the more interesting repertoire as a starter because, you know, he's, he's fastball focused, whereas Peterson is slider focused. And if he doesn't have a slider, he doesn't really have anything. But you write about him being the only lefty. He's replacing lefty in the rotation. They might want to, you know, throw in that change of handedness. I don't know. I, that, that's that's a Buckshell Walter thing. I don't know. It might be it might be an old school thing that they want to do. I don't think it matters that much at the end of the day for them. But McGill has also lost a couple of ticks, uh, and I, I I've heard that that is intentional. I I don't know. I, honestly, I think it's a pure toss-up between the two of them right now, but whichever of McGill or Peterson get that fifth starter role, I am interested in. It makes a ton of sense. So, uh, Yeah, that's the second time in this draft someone's been like, nah, I'm just taking someone different than who was on there. But I guess at least you took you were like, no, I disagree with Kevin. Jordan's just like, I don't like my own pick. I'm making a new one. So I make yeah. my own rules. But <laughs> hey, it gave you know for our listeners that's just two more names they get to hear about. So that's Wait, just, can I can I also, I'm not going to tell your list. I'm not going to tell your listeners to take a player that I don't like though either. That's the thing too. That would just be yeah sabotage. <laughs> that's right. Listen to Keeper Cut where you can find out who we don't like and nothing else. We're going to tell you actually, to pick guys. In the Deep is actually a show about how you can sync all of your fantasy baseball teams. That's what <laughs> that's it right. is. <laughs> That is an interesting idea for a podcast, Chad. Uh, <laughs> how, how can you have how can you have twenty great rounds and still come in last place? <laughs> I don't know. Ask Shrubsy. Just the worst ball. The worst we, ball we are, we're the negative Nancys. We're just here to tell you who we don't like, and that's it. <laughs> well, with that, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna call it. It's it's been long enough, and we're now talking about how to make everyone's fantasy teams worse, which is probably not the direction we want to go. So Schwebzy, Adam, Jordan, thank you all for joining us. Pete, great as always. We'll be back with you in, in another week. So enjoy the episode. Make sure, like I said, leave us ratings and reviews. 
Also, if you're one of our listeners and haven't listened to the other two, check out On The Wire, check out In The Deep. They're great podcasts. They do great work. I listen to both of them and then uh, just do what they tell me. So you should do that too. Uh, Especially if you're someone like me who doesn't do a lot of fab leagues, it's really great to just listen to On The Wire and be like, I can copy and paste this directly into my fab. So uh, yeah, check them out. They're both great shows. Uh, We really appreciate having you guys on and can't wait to do this draft again next year. With that, everyone have a good week and we'll, we'll talk to you in a few days.